My message tonight is that I might know him, that I might know him. The Bible says in Jeremiah 15, thy words were found and I did eat them and there was rejoicing in my heart. And it's my prayer that every single one of us would leave here tonight with rejoicing in our heart. I've been reading a book by J.I. Packard called Knowing God. And so most of what I'm going to share tonight is what the Lord has been dealing with me as I've read this book. And if you've ever read it, it's a classic. You know it's just such a a deep look at our relationship with the Lord. We're going to be reading from Philippians chapter 3 and also Daniel 11 if you want to turn there and get ready. Philippians 3 and Daniel 11. But I want to start tonight by asking how many of you, and I'm not looking for a show of hands, but how many of you would say, I know God. How many of you would say that? I think that most of us here tonight would say that. We're the Wednesday night crowd, right? But what if I asked, do you really know him? Do you really know him? When I was 25 years old, I was serving the Lord on a ship in ministry I was in the Adriatic Sea in the nations that made up the former Yugoslavian Republic. And I had a very dear friend of mine. We were best friends. They used to call us David and Jonathan. We went everywhere together. He was from South Africa. We were roommates. Um, We knew each other's deepest, darkest secrets. We were accountability partners. We were prayer partners. We shared our hopes and dreams together. We had plans to move to the Middle East, and we were going to support each other in ministry the rest of our days as, as young men make plans together. And I knew everything about him. There wasn't one thing that was hidden from me about this man. I knew the very depths of his soul, or so I thought. But there came a point in time in our relationship when he began to make decisions And I was shocked. And I realized, I don't know this man at all. Today, he's out of the ministry. And today, I don't know him. My daughter is three years old. She's sitting right there. And uh, if you were to line me up with all the men in the church and you asked Analia, who is your father? She would say, that's my father. She'd pick me every single time. Out of a thousand people. She'd pick me because she knows me. But does she really know me? Does she understand the motivation for what I do or what I don't do? Does she understand my reasons for serving the Lord through AFC International? If I tried to explain to her the challenges that Hannah and I have faced when Hannah fell sick and we were considering her early departure from this world, she wouldn't understand it. She knows me, but there's so much more to know. So much so that in one sense, she doesn't know me at all. And I suspect that for many of us, the same is true with how we know God. Yes, we know him, but we don't know him. I've served the Lord for 25 years in ministry now. And in one sense, I can say, yes, I know him. But in another sense, I feel almost like a stranger to the Lord. Yes, we have a testimony of when God pulled us out of a ruined race and he set our feet on solid ground. And after all, you know, the believers expected to be able to just share their testimony at a drop of a hat, right? We have these workshops that teach us how to do that in three minutes or less. But what other events have happened in your life since you came into this thing? 
where he's been so real and where you've known him, where you look back at your life and say, he's been so intimate with me and through the difficulties and the trials which I've walked through, I can count it all joy, like James tells us. It's working patience in my life. Do we say that? When things happen and the disappointments and the abuse of yesterday suddenly come streaming back before our eyes, how do we react in those moments? I think sadly for many, we slip back into bitterness and apathy and the gloom at the mere thought of past struggles, the difficulties that we have experienced in this horrible life. And sometimes we think about it all the time. It consumes people, even within the church. And so unknowingly, this attitude comes up with in us and it just we become this dried up stoic type of person that is totally removed from the joy unspeakable and full of glory that first peter speaks about it ought not to be but this circle of death which finds its name in self-pity should not be counted amongst the people who really know their god it should not those that have Known their God, never muse on the what might have been. We don't think on those things. We don't think about the things that we missed. We don't lay in bed at night and say, oh, if I only would have done this, if I only would have done that. No, because we know our God. And so we set our affections on things above and we muse on everything which through his grace and by his spirit we have gained in this life. Amen. We sang about that tonight. So if you would turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul writing this, starting in verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake I've suffered the loss of all things, and I consider them all rubbish, I consider them all dung, some of the translations say, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Beginning at verse 10, that I might know Him. That was the desire of Paul's heart. Oh, that I might know Him. And when he counts the things that he lost as rubbish, he's not just saying that he doesn't consider them of any worth, but he's also suggesting here that he doesn't spend time brewing on these things from the past. I'm not consumed with these things. They're not constantly in my mind. When a human lays awake at night, what do they think of? Normal humans do not lay awake at night nostalgically thinking of dung. Unless you're some organic farmer from Oregon. But this is what many of us do. We lay awake at night and we are consumed with what could have been. We're consumed with what took place yesterday. And I myself have greatly struggled with these things. And you know what it does? It actually reveals how much we know the Lord. Because it shows us where our mind is. And I want to challenge you tonight to face up to this reality because we are the Wednesday night crowd. I would never want to preach this in a Sunday morning service. 
But I can be a little rougher with you guys. Because we're the ones that can share the gospel clearly. We're the ones that have been too equipped. We've been to Andrew's grounded class. Amen. We've dedicated ourselves to the Lord. We can smell false doctrine a mile away. Because we know him. And we can gladly proclaim to all people that whatever their background is, they're able to come and know the Lord Jesus Christ by his death and burial and resurrection and by the grace that the Holy Spirit gives us through faith. And we would say, yes, I'm able to do that. I can go with Charles out at LSU campus. I can share Christ with people. Yet the unfettered joy of actually knowing Christ is not always seen amongst the Wednesday night crowd. And at times it's rarer amongst those who know more about God than those who are fairly ignorant about Christ. That's why I love brand new believers. They don't know nothing, but they're so excited because they've been redeemed and they know they've been, they feel the love of God and this adoption, not just the justification, not just that they've been made clean, but the fact that God puts his arms around them and says, I want to bring you into my family. I want to take care of you. You now become my responsibility. And they're overwhelmed by the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You can know a great deal about Christ without truly knowing Christ. And we saw that with the disciples on the Emmaus Road. They knew everything about Jesus. Why? Because Jesus himself came and walked with them and began to take the scriptures and expound on all of these things concerning himself. They didn't know him. They didn't even know who it was until they had intimacy with him. And they sat down and began to break bread and their eyes were open before he vanished out of their sight. I've watched this happen to so many people all over the world, especially those whose tendency it is to learn more about God. The ones who read all the theological books, the ones who are at every single Bible study, the ones who never miss Wednesday night. They, they lead the Sunday school, they teach the classes, they write the Christian blogs of the church. They're the ones who are asked to pray at their birthday parties, you know, when they're with the family or when they're at the crawfish boil at work. They're the ones who are asked to pray because people recognize you know more about God than I do. So they give you a platform to speak. And that platform causes us to study all the more because we don't want to let people down in their expectation of us, right? Because they have entrusted us with knowing about the Lord. That's an honorable thing. I'm not downgrading that. I'm just saying that because we have a knowledge about God from all of our study, that in itself is no proof that we actually know him. In fact, we can get so caught up in reading the books about God that we don't know the God that we're reading about. Or we get so busy practicing for the praise and worship and leading the people in praise and worship that we don't really know the God that we're worshiping at all. I'm not against study. I'm not against worship. We need to study to show ourselves approved. We are to make a choir of praise, but the motivation behind it all needs to be right. And we can't be so busy studying and doing these things that we miss the entire point. Oh, that I might know him. I just want to know him. That's all I want to do. I don't want to know just about godliness. I don't want to just know about how to live the Christian life 
With all the books and radio and discipleship tools available on the internet, we can know how to pray, we can know how to witness, we can know how to read and study our Bible and teach it to other people. We know how to be young Christians, we know how to be old Christians, we know how to be happy Christians. We know all of these things, how to teach Sunday school, how to be filled with the Spirit, how to plan a church, how to be a pastor, on and on and on and on and on, how to be Christians. And yet, do we really know Him? Or do I just know how this American Christian model is supposed to work. When I lay my head down at my pillow at night, what comes to my mind? I'm driving down the road or when I see that person that offended me 10 years ago, what springs out of my heart? Do I really know him? I have a very dear friend of mine who's an evangelist and wonderful, wonderful man. We were speaking this last week, and he was just telling me, he's like, I've got a confession to make. He said, Noah, I've come to the place in my ministry where it's so easy to tell the story and to use psychological manipulation on the church in order to pack the altar or get them jumping and shouting or whatever I want them to do. And I'm sick of it. I just want to know him. I just want people to know God. What have I been doing? And I praise God for his honest humility. But this brings me back to the question that I started with because I'm asking myself this. Do I really know him? Do I really know this God? Not do you know theology? Not can I explain to people how to live the Christian life? The question is, can we simply... Honestly, not because this is the Wednesday night crowd and we are ought to be able to. But is it just simply the truth that we know this great king who sent his wonderful son as a ransom for many? Do you know him? Do you know him to the point that all the terrible things that you've endured, all the trials and the difficulties that you're going through right now, all the lies all the misunderstandings that you've experienced in the past, they just don't even matter because you know him. And so you just count it all as dung. You count it all as rubbish for the sake of knowing Christ. That's my desire. I'm not up here telling you I'm walking in that. But that's where I'm praying that the Lord would bring me to. Because if we really knew God, then this is what we would be able to say. And if we're not saying it, we need to take a hard look within ourselves to see whether or not we really know him or do we just know about him. What does the Bible say about people who know God? Well, I'm glad you asked. Turn over to Daniel. We're going to start in Daniel 11 here. Daniel 11, verse 32. I'm going to read the second half of the verse. And this is speaking about the people in the last days. This is part of the prophecy section of Daniel. Daniel eleven thirty-two, second part of the verse. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. The ESV says they'll stand firm and they will take action. 
And in the context, this statement is actually contrasting everything that was said before, starting in verse 21. In verse 21, the writer begins to describe a contemptible people. And in verse 31, he says these contemptible people set up abominations that cause desolations. Now, I, I see that every night on the evening news in the world we're living in. People, he says, who use smooth, flattering speech to seduce those who loyalty, who's Seduce those whose loyalty to God's covenant has failed. That's the beginning of verse 32. If you read that carefully, that's exactly what he's saying. These horrible people are using smooth and flattering speech to seduce those whose loyalty to God's covenant has failed. But those that know their God, they're going to react to all of this wickedness. They're going to stand firm. They're going to take action. Those that know their God are going to do exploits. Hallelujah. And they will not rest when God is being defiled or disregarded. They will take action because dishonor done in God's name and purpose causes them to act. They don't sit back and just let their children be destroyed in the school system. They don't stop praying at the football game. They don't fall into apathy and fatalism saying, well, I guess it's just time for the devil to destroy my family. No, no. Not those that know their God. And this is exactly what you see in the exploits of Daniel and his three friends. These men knew God, and from time to time, they were compelled to stand out against the wickedness of their day. When they first arrived in Babylon, Daniel asked the chief eunuch if they could just have vegetables so that they could keep the kosher law of God. When Darius made the law that no one was to pray, Daniel just kept on a praying right up there in the window with it open so that everyone could see. Now, don't misunderstand all of this as just being rebellious. Don't misunderstand this as just this rebellion towards authority, because there's a lot of Christians that are like that. I'm just going to do what I want to do anyway. That's not somebody that just loves God. That's someone that loves number one. And they bring destruction wherever they go. There's no meekness in that. Not at all. We're not talking about that. This is not born out of guilt. This is not born out of just trying to keep up with the Joneses in religion. Because I'm nowhere the missionary and so I've got to act a certain way. No, no. That's not what this is. It's simply these men knew their God. They're sensitive to the situation and what's God's truth and honored are being jeopardized. And rather than just let the matter go, they're compelled by their love and their relationship with the Lord to do something about it, even at personal risk. That's what it really is. So it's not just a public display. This is people who know God and are doing exploits. And the people who know their God are people who pray. And this zeal and energy that comes out of them is born out of their intimacy with the Lord in prayer. In Daniel 9, we read how Daniel was reading the book of Jeremiah. And as he's reading the book of Jeremiah, suddenly he, he comes upon a passage. I believe it was Jeremiah 29 myself. And he sees that the time of Israel's captivity in Babylon is just about coming to an end. And so he sets himself to pray and fast. 
and put on sackcloth and ashes and seek the Lord with all of his heart. And he seeks the Lord for the restoration of all of Jerusalem and all the people confessing their sins and asking for forgiveness for the entire nation. Standing as an intercessor, having identification with the people. Who, if you read history right, were still living in their decadence. But he knew God. And he had a vehement passion and agony of spirit for his kinsmen after the flesh, just as Paul did and just as Moses had. Both men said, basically, I wish that you take my name out of your book because my kinsmen are lost. Most of us don't know that agony. Most of us don't know that kind of prayer, I dare say. Yet the consistent fruit of knowing God is the ability to pray for God's cause. The more we know Him, the more ability we have to fulfill His will. This is a good GPS for every single one of us. Do we really know God? If there is little energy for prayer, if I spend very little time in prayer, if I never read my Bible... Chances are, maybe I scarcely know him. Where are you at tonight, Wednesday night crowd? You're ready to teach the Sunday school. But do you just love to be in his presence? Do you want to be on the platform? Or do you want to be in the prayer closet? You just want to know him. Just want to know you. Lover of my soul. I want to know what's on your heart, God. I want you to lead me and guide me in these turbulent times in which we live in. I want to be in your presence because there's fullness of joy there. There's no joy out in that world. I'm seeing my nation be destroyed and the foolishness of the earth. Foolishness of the kings of the earth. I want to know a king whose government is on his shoulders. Those that know him have great energy for him. They know their God. They do exploits. The book of Daniel is very rich when it comes to wisdom and might and the truth of our great God. He's sovereign over all, all throughout the book of Daniel. And he gives mercy according to those of his good pleasure. And all of the history of Daniel is just that. It's just God's story, his story. The unfolding of this eternal plan, which is going to culminate in the crowning and the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ at the end of days. For seven long years, Nebuchadnezzar roamed those fields of the palace like an ox, completely out of his mind. And when he finally came out of that nightmare, the first thing he said was, the heavens do rule. The heavens do rule. Belshazzar, in great presumption and foolishness, held this decadent feast and dared to abuse the vessels of God. And the hand appeared, remember? It begins to write on the wall. And the same hand that's writing on the wall then snatches the kingdom away from that man that very evening. Darius, in his pride, allowed wicked men to convince him to give a decree that nobody should pray to any god. Only pray to the king for 30 days or else be thrown to the lions. 
One man stood up. That's recorded. And he's tossed into a pit of certain death. Yet when the sun rose the next morning, we know the story. Daniel's coming out and the wicked are going in. And they're ripped to pieces before they even hit the ground. This is the God that we serve. And the next thing you know, Darius is writing a decree himself, a new one stating that the living God endures forever. Listen to what he says. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion is without end. He delivers and he rescues. He works signs. He works wonders. He has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. This is our God. This is the God that Daniel knew so very well. And that every single one of us should know our God and be able to do exploits. Amen? Listen to Daniel's prayers. This is amazing. This is from chapters 2, 9, and 14. Listen to how he prays. And this isn't lip service. He doesn't pray this way because somebody else is standing next to him, right? This is just his heart. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He was a recipient of all of that wisdom and might. He's interpreting dreams. He changes times and season. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. O oh Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Lord, you are righteous. The Lord our God is merciful. He is forgiving. The Lord our God is righteous in everything that he does. And this is Daniel's heart and his thoughts towards our God. Is that your heart? Is that your thoughts towards your God? Do your prayers express that view? We pray every night with our kids. You know what they're praying for? I want a new train. I want a new pink kitchen. Analia got one. Unbelievable. Somebody gave us the thing for free. Couldn't believe it. But it's always about me. The Lord honors that. He loves to give good gifts to his children. And that's wonderful. But what is your heart in that? Daniel received the gift of wisdom. So what is his prayer? You are the God that gives wisdom. You are the God that gives understanding. Oh, great and mighty are you, O oh Lord. Your righteousness knows no bounds. The heart of worship, the motivation behind everything, that I might know you. Do our prayers express that? Does this tremendous sense of majesty and just utter perfection that was prophesied to all of us tonight, does that... Come out in your prayers. At times, do you just turn the music on in your living room when nobody's looking in your vacuum and just dance before the Lord and worship Him? I did that one time and Bailey came over. It was so embarrassing. <laughs> I'm vacuuming, I'm dancing and clapping. Thank God it wasn't in my underwear. Shame. But do you marvel at his moral perfection? Do you stand in awe at his goodness? Does that keep you obedient as it 
did Daniel and Paul, the love of Christ compels me. And by this, we can measure our knowledge of God. Do you know Him? Those that know Him will show great boldness for Him. It wasn't foolishness and it wasn't recklessness that caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to stand up when everyone else was bowed. It wasn't presumption on their part. It wasn't their great faith. It was their knowledge of God. Just like the apostles when they were beaten by the religious leaders and commanded, stop speaking in this name. And they said, it's better for us to obey God and not men because we know him. He walked with us for these three long years. We've touched him. We felt him. We were with him in every prayer meeting, almost. Sometimes we fell asleep. We saw the miracles that he did. We saw the resurrection. He came and he revealed himself to us. We know him. The day of Pentecost came and he poured his spirit out upon us and there's an intimacy. We can't obey you. We have to obey this great God. The determination of the right course is not always easy. But they embraced it without recorded hesitation. May the same be said about the 21st century church. They had no idea what the outcome was going to be. But they knew exactly what the will of the Father was, didn't they? You shall have no other gods before me. Make for yourself no graven image. And that was enough for them to stand boldly in the face of just tremendous adversity. And the sound of a roaring fiery furnace that had been heated seven times hotter. The only way that you and I are ever going to be, do, be doing anything like that in these last days is because we know our God. You better draw near to him, church. You better draw near. There's no peace on earth like the peace found in, by those who know their God. Amen. Because God knows them. And there's an intimacy there, an intimate relationship. And that relationship guarantees God's favor in our life while we're living or while we're being martyred. There's an intimacy there. There's a favor there. You go back and you read the Fox's Book of Martyrs. I tell you what, it will remove the fear of death from your life. When God first opened the door for me to start working in these closed countries and it was difficult and I was terrified, I began to read that book. Oh, my word, peace like a river would just flood my heart. Just hearing the testimonies of how these would just be able to sing praises to God in the midst of this, all this horrible stuff. They'd fall asleep. They'd be stabbed with the sword and the blood would pour out and put out the fire and all this amazing things that took place. And the looks on their faces were like angels according to their persecutors. Hallelujah. I mean, it just removes any worry from you at all. This is the peace of God that Paul speaks so wonderfully about all throughout the book of Romans in chapter 8. I love it. Paul says, there's therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're the children of God, heirs of God, adoption. We know that in all things, God's works for the good of those that love him, are called according to his purposes. Those he justified, he glorified. If God be for us, who can be against us, church? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? Who will separate us 
from the love of Christ. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor things present nor things to come shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's a man that knows God. That's a man that walks with God. That's a man that does exploits because of the intimacy that he has with the Lord. Oh, I want that intimacy. I don't want that to be words on a page. I want that to be the cry of my heart to the living God. And I want it to be your heart. This is the peace that Daniel and his three friends had. This is the peace that countless Christians throughout history have had. We love to read the stories. We put these people on pedestals today. Corey Ten Boom. I mean, what a miraculous woman of God. There's things that she endured is just amazing. And she would travel the world speaking about the unsearchable riches that are found in Christ Jesus. And she was tortured by the Nazis and by her fellow prisoners, by the way. She testified how she would stand outside that crematorium and watch while over 600 people a day would be burned to ashes. And just sing in her heart about the unsearchable riches of Christ. You cannot do that with just knowing how the church works. You can only do that if you know God. Countless lives have been touched by her life. Countless lives have been affected because of the knowledge of Christ that she had. Every single one of us in this room is some type of minister. We're called to be kings and priests to the Lord. As I look around this room, a majority of the people in here minister in some capacity in this church. And that's why I believe the Lord put this message on my heart for us tonight. Because we're the backbone of FNT. We're the ones that this really is for. Got to know him. Which one of us has not wanted to be used by God in mighty ways? Every single one of us. Doesn't your heart burn to be used by the Lord? You go down to Southern and you're ministering there on the campus. Don't you want to see God do exploits through your life? Amen. I don't want to just teach a Sunday school class and watch these kids grow up and go out and serve the devil. I want their entire lives to be changed. You're going to leave BBS and children are going to come. And don't you want to see the eyes of their understanding be enlightened? Don't we want to hear Bill come back on Sunday and give a testimony about how his Christ or his brother, his father's name is now written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Absolutely we do. That's why we pray. That's why we gather together. That's why we seek after the Lord with all of our hearts. Not just so that we can teach Sunday school, right? But so that we might know him. We desire that. So how do we get there? First of all, we have to be honest about where we're at right now with the Lord. You don't have to be honest with me about that. Christ alone already knows, and he alone is worthy of that honor and trust. But be honest with the Lord. Where are you really at with God tonight? We must measure ourselves. You know, in Revelation chapter 11, John speaks about how he was given a measuring reed. To measure the worshiper. To measure the worshiper. 
Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11, judge yourselves so that you would not be judged. This is in regards to taking communion in an unworthy way. So judge yourselves, not by your knowledge of spiritual things, not by your gifts or your responsibilities in the body of Christ, but by your intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ. Your intimacy and how you're able to walk in the Spirit of God, by your prayer life, by what goes through your mind when you lay your head down on your pillow at night. Don't muse on the past. Don't muse on the dung. Leave that to the farmers out in Oregon. But know Him. Love Him. Be intimate with Him. Amen? While Jesus walked the soil of Israel, He was always inviting ordinary people to come and walk with Him. Just come and be intimate with me. And they came to know him as they came to follow him. And because they knew him, they knew the Father. And before he was born as a man on this earth, in the Old Testament, there's many recordings of the pre-incarnate Christ appearing before men. And it always had one purpose as you read it. It was always that the people might know the Father. It's always been his purpose. The book of Daniel records two such instances where this happens. We sing about it here at church sometimes, how there was another in the fire. And then someone stepped into that lion's den and shut the mouth of those lions. Daniel said it was the angel of the Lord, not just an angel. It was the messenger of God. The word of God. Christ is now absent from us in body, but he's seated at the right hand of the Father, praise God. And he sent his Holy Spirit back here to be everything to us, that we might know him. And I believe the scripture that Daniel read in Jeremiah was Jeremiah 29, as I said. Because in Jeremiah 29... Jeremiah says that after 70 years, I'm going to bring you back from your captivity. And I'm going to bring you back into the land. Listen to this. This is what I believe Daniel read. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for good and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. And you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I believe that this is what Daniel read. And this is what caused him to seek the Lord with everything within him. To know God. I just want to know you. I don't come with any other motive. I just want to know you. And the testimony of Daniel's life was that he did know God because he did do exploits. Thus, it is those that have searched for the Lord with all of their heart that really know him and who can stand before the world and testify to a lost world of who Christ really is. The power of God is able to move through their life. And it's not in the manipulation of men not in knowing how to speak a certain way or preach a certain way, just in knowing God 
you look at how Billy Graham preached and how Carrie Tinboom preached a thousand miles apart. But their impact is incredible. We could be such people in this generation that know God. And this is what has always been the heart of the Lord for His people. So I close with these last scriptures. Musicians, if you come. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Not let the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Hosea 6, verse 6. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And finally, the words of the Lord Jesus in John 17, 3. This is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Church, we face incredible difficulties at this time in our nation. And I can guarantee you that the wickedness of man is only going to be manifested worse and worse as we get closer to the coming of the Lord. But when you come to understand that the whole entire desire of God is that we might know Him, then the things out there grow strangely dim the light of His glory and His grace. And all of life's challenges just fall into place. And the hurts and the wounds from the past can be done to you because you have one desire because you know the will of God. Oh, that I might know you. Is that the cry of your heart tonight? Not about what could have been you're not concerned about the pain that you're walking through right now so much. You're not coming to God and just asking for deliverance from your situation or the shiny new train track or the pink new kitchen. But you're seeking God for Him, to know Him, to have His peace that passes all understanding, to have the joy that's only found in His presence just have intimacy with him and the knowledge that my name is written in that Lamb's book of life. <laughs> There's coming a day where I'm going to leave this world and I'm going to stand before the groom of all grooms. The one who gave his life for me loves me so dearly so purely. And I want to stand before him I want to recognize him because I know him. I don't want to pull out my laundry list of all these things I've done in ministry. It doesn't matter. I want to know Christ. I want him to know me. Would you stand? Would you worship him tonight? Would you come with a pure heart? Just love God. lay down the past to allow him to change you 
seek him with all of your heart that you might know him. Thank you, Jesus.